we sang uh, mountains are still being moved. And, you know, I don't know if you, you know this, but uh, in the Old Testament and in that time uh, when uh, mountains were, also, were a, a, a term that was used to refer to authority figures. So when God spoke to Ezekiel in, um, I forget the exact chapter, and he says, go and tell the mountains what the Lord has said. He's not saying go and tell these landscapes what the Lord has said. He's saying go and tell these authority figures what the Lord has said. So when we sing that, you know, if you're, if you're feeling intimidated by this, the climate that we are in in our country, if you're intimidated by uh, maybe, maybe you feel there's a little bit of a lack of integrity or you're intimidated by the beliefs of, of, of people that may be leading our country, you can rest and know um, that, that mountains are still being moved. Um, there's authority figures that are still being moved by God's, God's spirit, and we fully believe that he is, he is in, in authority, and he has the ability to do uh, what, he, what he desires. My, uh, my message title today is Set Apart, and this message came to me. I was driving to church one day, and I started singing, Refiner's Fire. That's a lie. That's Pastor Jeff's story, all right? Some of you guys laughed too hard when I started singing, though, and I don't appreciate that. We're going to pray for you at the end. It must be the mic, because coming out of my mouth and in my ears, it sounds like the voice of an angel. This is is just a a little bit of a continuation of all that we've heard already um, this year. If you haven't had a chance, you haven't been here or or, or maybe you've been um, under the weather or you've been quarantined or something, you haven't had an opportunity to listen to the messages that have already been preached this year, I would encourage you to do so. You can, you can hop on the YouTube page. I think they post them, the, the, face, the Facebook page. Um, but, but hop on and, and listen to those because they're so valuable. This is just a little bit of a continuation of our what is our word for the year, which is set apart. And I, Man, this, when Pastor Jeff shared our word for the year and his, his heart behind it, um, it aligns so much with, with what God has been doing inside of me and, uh, and what some of the things that he's just been speaking into my heart. So I thought that was so cool. And, and, and so I'm going to share a little bit about what, uh, what I think that this means uh, for us and, and uh, for me and for you and, and how we can uh, kind of approach this, this word for the year. Uh, before I get into this, let's just pray. Lord, we just uh, are so thankful for your goodness, Lord, the fact that we get to be here today, Lord, the fact that you meet us here, and we just, we just wait on you this morning, Lord, we just surrender this time to you, God. Lord, just guide my words and, and, and fill me up with, um, with all that, that you desire for me to share, God. We just, we just surrender our hearts to you in, in this time, Lord. We just open our hearts and we open our minds and we receive your word, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, uh, contrary to what you may have heard from Bobby Cato, I am actually not perfect. You know, I have failures and, and um, struggles and things that, um, I have to overcome. And one of the things that has really been a struggle for me um, in every aspect of my life, and particularly even in my, in my uh, walk with Jesus, in my relationship with Jesus, and in my ministry, is I have absolutely zero patience. Like, none. Like, I got no patience at all. I'm not a patient person. 
I am, um, I get this from my mother, so it's her fault. Uh, it's true. I'm the type of person that, like, we're, like, pulling in the driveway. If Emma's driving, we're, like, pulling in the driveway, and I'm, like, opening the door. The car hasn't even stopped yet because I'm just, like, I'm, I'm on to the next thing. I'm ready to go. I have to, like, force myself to slow down sometimes because that's the way that I am. And, and, and God is teaching me. He's showing me, and he's working on that in me. Um, a couple of other things about me that is that I am a man of action. I like activity. I like to be doing things. I like to be proactive. I like to be like tackling a goal or or, do, or um, headed in some direction or doing something. I like to be doing something. And I am a natural leader. And I, and I don't mean that I'm always not a next, necessarily a natural good leader. I mean that if you put me in a group of people, I am inclined to impose my ideas and, and tell everybody what to do. If I've ever been in that situation with you, I apologize ahead of time because I, it's just the way that I am, the way that I am wired. I, if you throw me in a group, I am decisive and I think that all my opinions are definitely the right opinions and all my ideas are definitely the best ideas. So naturally what happens is I just impose my will on, on, that, on that situation. Now, the fact that I am a man of action and, and naturally I'm a leader. And actually, I honestly believe that those two things are things that God has put inside of me. And, 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 and he intends to use them for his glory as long as he can um, rein me in a little bit, you know. Um, because I'm a man of action and because I'm naturally a leader, when you mix those things with being an impatient person, uh, it can be kind of like a recipe for uh, disaster sometimes. And I have, uh, I have seen that in my life, and I've seen that because I'm the type of person that, you know, God, he, sometimes God plants a seed in us, and before God has, like, even had chance to water the seed, I've already built, like, a tree house around it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I know this is going to be a big tree. Or I already know what you're doing, so I've already, and you know, really what I'm doing is I'm drowning out the seed that God's put in the ground inside of me, and I have, before it's even had a chance to grow, I've already surrounded it by all these other things that I think are going to help it. Or make it better. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just the way that I am. And it's because I lack patience. God would sit down with me and, I'm, he, and he would say, I'm going to give you the 10-step plan. And you're going to be able to see so much of my glory. And I'd be so excited. And then he'd give me step one. And I'd be like sliding out of my seat ready to go. Like, all right. I already know the rest. I'll figure it out. You know? I only have one step, but I'll get there. That's just my nature. That's how I am. I'm always on the go. I'm always in a rush to do the next thing. Even during Christmas this year, I told Emma that I actually have to slow down when Easy's opening presents because he would barely get one open. I'd be shoving the next one in his face, like, on to the next thing. Where are we going? What are we doing? That's just how I am. And I'll give you a little bit of an example of, of this in my own life. A few years ago, I had felt like what God was really wanted, wanted me to do, what he was really calling me to do was start a church. And I was planted here, and I was in ministry here, and um, the reason is because I thought I had, all the, I had all these great ideas, and I thought the only way that I am making all these ideas come to fruition is if, God, if I have the platform to be able to impose these ideas. And I know it sounds silly, and, and it wasn't because I didn't love this place. I actually absolutely love this place, and I am absolutely planted here for a purpose, and I believe that I am absolutely planted here for the long haul, and I believe that, uh, and the, really, these people, these people are my family. These young teenagers, these people are the ones that I love and the ones that uh, God has put in my life for me to minister to them and for them to minister to me. And, 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 but sometimes, um, because I am always on to the next big thing and I am 
I am a man of adventure. I like to do wild things. If you come up with a wild idea, I won't even take a second to weigh the risk I'm in, you know? And, and because of that, um, I have all these ideas, and I'm like, I'm sure that they're from God because my, in, my heart was in the right place, and my heart was always that God was going to be glorified. Like, my desire was always for Jesus. It was always for Jesus. It wasn't that my desire was out of place. It was that my pathway to get there was out of place. And, you know, God had, uh, God took me and redirected me in such, like, a gentle and loving way. You know, he could have just let me fail or slap me in the face or, you know, whatever. But, you know, he said, you know, Shane, I, I really love your passion, but your path is it's janky. It's probably not getting you where you think it's getting you. You know what I mean? The world, trust me, doesn't need more of Shane. They need more of Jesus. And, um, and it's taken me a little bit of time to realize that I am actually not the way to the Father. That it's Jesus that's the way to the Father. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, all along, I thought it was me. I thought for sure that it was me, and then through me, you meet Jesus. And then through Jesus, you go to the Father. I thought that was the order of things. But it turns out those are not the order of things. Actually, Jesus doesn't, it's not that Jesus needs me. He's, he's, he'll take us to the Father if I'll open the door for us to get there. And um, as, as God has redirected my focus in this, um, it, what it's done is it's made me realize that the only, only the presence of God has the authority or the ability to change anything permanently. And, and I may have some ideas or I may be able to construct a really nicely worded message that might spark your heart for a season. But if it's not leading you into an encounter with the presence of God, it will, it will die out and end. The only thing, the only thing that could establish any type of permanent change in your life is the presence of God. That's it. And you could be the most talented, you could have the most talented worship band, and you could ha have the most well-spoken pastor, and nothing, nothing will change permanently unless, it's in, unless you're led into an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of massive, massive churches that flow people in and flow people out on a regular basis because they've got a really, really exciting church, really awesome singers, and a really well-spoken pastor, but they don't lead you into an encounter with Jesus. And it sparks your heart for a season, but it dies off because our hearts aren't, aren't meant to be sparked for a season. Our hearts are meant to be led into encounter. And when we're led into encounter, permanent change takes place. In, uh, in 2020, I have seen more of God's glory in our young people than I've ever seen before, ever. And in 2020, I have done a lot less talking and a lot more stepping aside. And I've told you guys before, we do our Wednesdays upstairs and with the teenagers, and we literally spend the first hour in just personal worship time. We're there for an hour and a half. The first hour is personal worship time. We turn on worship music, and we let them find their own space and find their own time with Jesus. And we've seen more growth in that and more sustaining growth in that than we would ever see if I was just really good at having uh, group discussions. And I trust that the, the change that is happening in the young people here is change that will be permanent. 
It's change that will last for eternity because it's rooted in encounter. And it's not rooted in a, in a flashy message or, or something really that looks really cool on the surface but has no depth to it. So we lead, we foster an atmosphere of personal pursuit in there. And what's kind of grown out of that, what's grown out of me being willing to step out of the way and step off the platform. I thought that I needed a bigger platform. And God said, if you would just step off the platform, then I will do what you desire to be done, which is for God to be glorified. And this, uh, this year, um, I've, I've come to realize more than ever that what that the only thing that moves the kingdom forward are the things that move the Father's heart. The only thing, the only things that move the kingdom forward are the things that move the Father's heart. And if the only things that move the kingdom forward are the things that move the Father's heart, it's not bigger platforms or bigger followings that moves the Father's heart. It's just you. It's me. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not a big and flashy service or a great performance or the way that you serve him. It's, it's actually just you. And when you isolate you and Jesus, that's what moves the Father's heart. When you isolate yourself and you move yourself into a place of, of dedicated, devoted, uh, undistracted time with Jesus, that is what moves the Father's heart. And that is what moves the kingdom. I, I was, as I was thinking about this and as I'm putting this, this all together and the Holy Spirit is, is um, organizing this thing in my heart, I realized that, you know, we have, a, we have a, a fairly decent sized church here in New Waterford, Ohio. And this church was not just established by a bunch of really good speakers. And as a matter of fact, it was, it was probably established by a lot of people that have never held a microphone in their life. But they found their time with Jesus. They found their moments and they asked for God's glory in this place. And you are sitting here as a response to God answering the prayers of somebody who has probably never held a mic and you might not know their name. And I think that's so powerful to think about. So powerful to think about the fact that, that, that we have the opportunity to move the kingdom forward and it doesn't take a platform and it doesn't take anything out of you. It doesn't take your service. It doesn't take anything. He will grow that in you after you have found Thing that moves his heart, which is personal time with him. I'm going to put a little bit of scriptural context to show you exactly where, um, where God has been um, leading me on this. I'm going to read first, uh, just in Ezekiel 47, and God meets the prophet um, Ezekiel, and he takes him through this vision. And this is what it says, starting in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate, led me around the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand, he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. 
It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. This is the Dead Sea that it enters. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the, wa- that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engadi to Engliam. It will be a place for spreading of nets. Its fish will be very of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will become will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because of the water that flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. You've probably read this a, a hundred times. You've probably heard pastors preach on this a hundred times. And I probably, shoot, I probably preached on this before. Um, the thing that, that God started showing me is, is, is I've always associated this with just going deeper. And I've, I, and I've thought, you know, yeah, I, I want to go deeper. And I want to experience the, the depths of, of, of this water. I want to experience the water that flows into the Dead Sea and brings life to literally everything it touches. I want to experience that. And, and, and the question that I think that I'm always left with is, okay, but how? How do I do it? What do I need to do? Like I said, my nature is to, 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 to put things into action. So my nature is to say, okay, let's put a plan together and let's figure out how we, how we do this, how we go into deeper waters. And what the Holy Spirit was showing me as I was, as I was reading through this was that, um, it, that it's a lot of people in, in, in reading this and in, in, in desiring to see God's glory because the river is a representation of God's glory. In desiring to see God's glory, what we do is we try to manufacture up the deep ends of the water. So we go into water, or, and, and, we, and, we, and we splash around, and maybe even somebody gets saved, because uh, God works even in our failures. And maybe somebody gets saved, and then we celebrate and say, see, look, everything that it touches is coming back to life. And there's more, more power to this than that. And, and what the Holy Spirit was showing me was that the water flows from the altar of the temple, and we are the temple now. And it leaves the altar, and when it leaves the altar of the temple, it leaves the altar as just a trickle. And what God was showing me was that if we want to be set apart, if we want to see the raging river that brings life to everything that it touches, it starts when we sit at the altar, sit at the feet of Jesus, and we receive when it's just a trickle when it's just enough, enough to barely quench our thirst. And we sit there and we feel like this is so insignificant. Everything that I'm receiving here today, it seems insignificant. And I just sit, sit in my own time with Jesus and I just accept the trickle. But the, the, what's a trickle in the altar leaves the altar as a stream. And what leaves the altar as the stream eventually brings life to everything that it, that it touches. I think that's so awesome to think about because my mind automatically goes to, okay, how do I put this into action? And God says, you put this into action by getting in your, in your private time with me. Sit and receive the trickle. 
sit and receive the water when it's just barely anything. If you're willing to sit and receive the trickle, God will do wonders through your life. He'll do wonders through your life. There will be things that happen because you've received the trickle that happen 100 years after you die. God is not focused just on this generation. And if you'll sit and receive the trickle, he'll create nations out of that. Nations that come to his salvation. You know, I, I am always about, like I said, I'm always about action and I'm always about service. How do I find ways to serve? How do I find ways to um, implement new things and, and to do new things? And, and what happens is when I find myself in quiet time, when I find myself um, sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving the water that's a trickle, naturally what comes out of that is service. Naturally what comes out of that is ministry. And the ministry will be like the trees that grow up next to the deep end of the river and they bear fruit in every single season and their leaves are for the healing. And they bear fruit in every season and their leaves are for the healing because they're nourished by the river that is, that is birthed in the secret place. So if you want to see God move in you, if you want to see God birth up ministries in you, if you want to see God birth up service in you that actually matters, that isn't just service for to be service, but it actually matters and impacts the kingdom. If you want your service to move the kingdom forward, it starts in the secret place. He'll de- he'll develop up the rest of it. He'll figure the rest of it out. But it starts in the in your in your secret time. I'm going to add even just a little bit more depth to to this in. Um, in Luke chapter 10, we are introduced to Mary for the first time. And starting in verse 38, this is what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. So Jesus is in this city, and Mary is busy doing what I would be busy doing, which is trying to find ways to serve and try to find ways to prepare the way for God. And, and, and Mary is, or Martha is doing that, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet just accepting the trickle, accepting everything that Jesus would give her. And Jesus says that she has chosen the good portion. Here's what's amazing about this. You don't know a lot about Mary, but what we do come to find out about Mary is in, um, in John chapter 11, a messenger runs to Jesus, and, and, he's, and Jesus is out with his disciples, and the messenger says, You're the one that you love, Lazarus, he's sick. And if you don't come quick, he's going to die. But Lazarus is Mary's brother, Mary and Martha's brother. And Jesus says, this is what Jesus says, he says that, that Lazarus' sickness will not be for death, but for glory. So Jesus knows what's going on here, and he knows what's going to happen. A few days pass, and then Jesus says, okay, let's go back now and see Lazarus. And so they go back, and when they show up to the town, Mary runs out, or Martha runs out and, and tells Laz- that Lazarus has been dead. He's been dead for four days now. And Mary runs out, and Mary says, if you would have just been here, I know that Lazarus would still be alive. 
And Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And, he take, and they take him to the tomb, and, and he, he, he orders the, the um, entryway to be open, and he speaks, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And what started as Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, just receiving just a little bit of a trickle, ended up becoming Mary getting to take, play, take part in an example of God's glory that is like no other. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 45, this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of, the, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered counsel and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now the Pharisees, um, their desires are, are wrong because their desire is power in this situation. And the reason they fear Jesus is because they're afraid that Jesus is going to end their power. But notice what they say here. They said, if, he, if we let this keep going, everyone is going to believe. So what starts as Mary just sitting and receiving just this little trickle ends up with the Pharisees saying, if this keeps happening, this is going to flow into the Dead Sea and it's going to bring life to every single thing that it touches. Let me add, because this is really amazing, but I'm going to add even a little bit more depth to this. Um, in, in, the, in that time before Jesus had arrived on this scene, the Jews were waiting on a Messiah. And there was four messianic signs that they were expecting that were going to happen. And, the, and when these messianic signs happened, this was going to be the announcement that the Messiah is here. So, so they weren't just randomly waiting for, for Jesus to show, show up in some, um, in some glorified form. They were expecting uh, a, a man to show up that was going to have to show signs. And he was going to show these four messianic signs that were going to um, be the announcement of his arrival. The first messianic sign is that he was going to heal a leper. And the reason that they believe this was going to be a messianic sign is because if you remember in the Old Testament when Moses stretched out his hand and he had leprosy and then he, he retracted and was, his leprosy was healed. Um, because of that, the Jews believed that um, leprosy was from God and could only be taken away by God. That, that God gave people leprosy, and he's the only one that could take him away. So naturally, they believed that if the Messiah showed up on the scene, he would be able to heal somebody with leprosy because he's God. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals a leper. The next messianic sign is that they believe that uh, the Messiah would be able to cast out a mute demon. The reason that they believed this was a messianic sign was because the way that the Pharisees would cast out demons is they would go to the, the demon-possessed person and they would ask the demon for its name. And when the demon told the Pharisee its name, the Pharisee would cast out the demon by its name. So they, they believe, obviously, if it's a mute demon, the mute demon is not going to respond, and therefore they have no power to cast out a mute demon. But they knew that when the Messiah showed up on the scene, that he would be able to cast out the, de the mute demon. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus casts out a mute demon. The third messianic sign is that, that, that the Jews believed that uh, the Messiah would be able to heal a person that was born blind. The reason they thought this was a messianic sign was because they believed that, um, that somebody born with a disability was the result of a bloodline of sin. And the only person who could end a bloodline of sin is God himself. 
God can't go back in the past and change, or you can't go back in the past and change sin, therefore you can't, um, you can't redeem what has been born um, disabled, but, but God himself can. And in John chapter 9, Jesus gives sight to a man who was born blind. And in the last messianic sign, the fourth messianic sign, is that Jesus would raise the dead. And notice that it specifically says that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. Some of the Jews in that time, they believed that um, a person, when they died, that their spirit would hover around the tomb for three days, trying to basically enter back into the body. And after those three days, it would exit and go to where it was headed. Lazarus was dead for four days. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, specifically four days after Lazarus has died, he was showing up on the scene to, to, to make an announcement. This was more than just a miracle. He was, he was proclaiming to the world that I am the Messiah. I have fulfilled every single one of the messianic signs. I am the Messiah. And not only am I the Messiah, but I have the, I have the, um, I have the authority to, to determine what has life and what doesn't. So Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and receives when it was just a trickle. When Martha's running around working and she sits there and receives when it's just a trickle. And what she gets to be, what she gets to partake in, what she gets to be an example of, is, this, is the last messianic sign that announces to the world that the Messiah is here. That brings life to everything that it touches. When John the Baptist was in prison, and John the Baptist, you have to remember, he is the one that uh, he's the one that announced the arrival of the Messiah when Jesus walked over the hill and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." When John the Baptist was put in prison, he he got filled with some doubts and he struggled with a little bit of doubts. So he sent a messenger to Jesus and he asked, he said, "Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we be looking for somebody else?" And Jesus' response to the messenger, what he told to send back to John the Baptist, was not, tell John yes. He said, tell John what you've seen. The blind are healed. That The sick are healed. The demons are cast out. And the dead are raised to life. He's saying, tell John that you've seen and you've witnessed the four messianic signs. That I don't have to tell you who I am. I have proven who I am. When Jesus um, was 30 years old and he comes over that hill and, and, and like I said, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus had finished being baptized by John the Baptist, he went out in the wilderness to pray for 40 days. And, and the scripture says that Satan met him out in the wilderness to tempt him. Have you ever thought about the fact that you don't see anywhere else in Scripture where Satan's shown up on the scene to, 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 to fight with Jesus. First of all, Satan is not omnipresent, meaning that he can't be everywhere at once. He's in one place at one time. And he chose to be there. And I think that the reason that Satan chose to be there at that moment is because he knew that if Jesus was going to sit and receive the trickle from the Father for 40 days and 40 nights, that literally there was never going to be anything that was going to be able to stop the raging river that comes out of that. That it was going to touch and bring life to every single thing that it, every single thing that it touched. And so Satan met him there. And then Satan spent the rest 
of Jesus' life, not trying to tempt Jesus more. He knew that he had failed at that. He knew that the river had stopped, and he started, and he thought, the only way that I could stop this river is that if, I, if, if Jesus dies. So as Satan spends the rest of uh, Jesus' time here on earth trying to convince uh, people to kill Jesus, because he thought that by, by Jesus dying would stop um, this, this unending river that was about to bring life to everything. And what Satan did realize is that, that by killing Jesus, he was actually going to make the whole world like him. He was going to open up the door for the whole world to be like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out. And this is his instruction to his, his, his disciples. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You've received without paying, now give without pay. Have you noticed that these things that he's instructing his disciples to do are the four messianic signs? The things that Jesus has fulfilled, now he says, now I'm, now I'm imparting on you these things. The same spirit that lives in me now lives in you. And I'm imparting these things to you so that you can go prove to the world who I am. I think, I think that sometimes, in, in man, even in my own life, I, I don't want to stop ever celebrating just a single salvation. I don't ever want to stop celebrating a single healing. I believe that heaven celebrates those things. But I don't want to call something what it's not. And I want to see those type of things happen in my life. I want to see crazy miracles happen. And I don't think Jesus has cut us off from crazy miracles. I think that it just takes us digging into our prayer time. That if we'll sit at the altar and we'll just receive it when it's just a little trickle, he'll turn it into this. This wasn't the first instruction he gave to the disciples. The first instruction he gave to the disciples was to follow me. This is what followed. So he told the disciples, first you sit and you receive the trickle from me. And then when, I, when you've received the trickle from me, out of you will flow miracles that announce to the world who I am. And I, for one, I want my life to announce to the world who Jesus is. But it starts in my secret time, in my private time with Jesus. And that's the only place it starts. I can't manufacture anything of value outside of my, my time sitting and receiving the trickle at the altar and the feet of Jesus. I, just, I think that God has set the church our church, every church, set Christians apart for this season. To be set apart in this season. But if you want to be set apart in this season, you have to be willing to set yourself apart in prayer. And if you will set your part, yourself apart in prayer, he will handle the rest. He will set your, your actions apart. He will set your service apart. He will set your ministries apart if you will set yourself apart in prayer. I, we, me and Emma have focused this year, um, this year has been dedicated to growing our prayer life because we desire only to move the heart of the Father. And we know that if we can move the heart of the Father, that we could help move the kingdom forward. We, we read this, we started off reading this book this year, and it's called Teach Us to Pray by Corey Russell. And I would encourage every one of you guys to read this book. Some of you guys have already read it. I know Cody and Jesse have already. Cody told me a few weeks ago that, uh, that he read this book and he found himself kind of in a dry season. He read this book and it brought life to him. 
And it's because, and it's because this book gives you instruction on, on, on your prayer life. And it gives us focus and alignment. It brought alignment to my spirit. I would encourage every one of you to read it because because if we want to be set apart this year, if we want to end 2021 as a church, as a people that's been set apart, it starts in your prayer walk. It starts in your prayer life. It starts in that time where you have dedicated and devoted to only Jesus, undistracted time with Jesus. My wife's prayer language is quality time. And... Um, most of you guys' wife's prayer language is quality time, so pay attention to this. But um, my wife's lang- prayer language, is, it, or prayer uh, love language, love language is quality time. And I could spend a lot of time with her and not be able to make her feel loved. But the way she feels loved is when I have set time aside for specifically her. When I take her on a date, when I drop our son off at babysitting and we go and we, and we spend time where I've dedicated my time only to her, that is what feeds her love language. And I believe that God's love language is quality time. Because he loves you. And because he desires, what he desires is not what you can give to him, but he desires you. And what you can give to him is actually what he can give to you. It's not for him, it's for you. It's for the kingdom. But it starts in our prayer time. It starts with a trickle. So if you've struggled with, to find that, I'm telling you, find yourself in, in your private time. Find Jesus in that private time, and if it's just a trickle, it's enough. If it feels like barely anything, it's enough. But give yourself to that private time. I know that we have um, uh, communion. If, if whoever is doing communion wants to come up. I'm going to pray for us real quick here. Lord, we're thankful that, that, that you're not focused on what we can do for you because we're not good enough to do anything of value for you, Lord. But you're focused on us. Lord, we want to be focused on you. We're thankful that you're willing to strip things away and, and, to, and, to, and to bring us just into personal communion with you, Lord. We want to be set apart for you. Lord, we know that we're only set apart for you if we set ourselves apart for you, Lord. So we, we decide to do that today. We commit to do that today, Lord. We commit to give you real and personal, undistracted time, God. Lord, we pray that you would take that trickle that we receive, Lord, and that you would turn it into something that exits our body and is, is something glorious, God. Lord, all we do is for you. All we do is for your glory, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name.